All right, so tonight we're going to run back through some things because we're still building on um, really the doctrine of atonement, which I would argue is the quintessential doctrine of Scripture. Uh, certainly is my favorite. Uh, I was thinking today, if you don't understand it, certainly you can be in relationship with the Lord and be saved. If you understand it and deny it, you don't have any grounds to stand on for salvation uh, at all because it's such an essential doctrine of understanding atonement. And so it is the work, and I'll actually show you that word tonight. I, I was found it going through some of my slides uh, for this week. It's the work that God did in rescuing you from your sin. And we sum that up with the idea of atonement. And some people just grab the idea, and I'm going to talk about Tyler's expiation and propitiation he brought up last week. Some people idea that, just, okay, God forgave me. He did. But you're leaving the most significant thing on the table in his work, and that's what we were talking about Sunday. The wrath was simply averted. The wrath was still poured out. Punishment still fell for your sin, each and every one. Okay? You did not receive it, though. And so if you just say, well, God, forgive me of my sins, well, that's kind of like how we do our, our kids, right? They do something wrong, we're going to spank them or whatever, and, and then you wind up not doing anything. You just add ah, just what, and you just forget it. That's kind of the way some people view this salvation that they have. God said, yeah, I know you did all this stuff wrong. We're just going to forget that and just slide it off the table. And that is not what happened. You diminish Christ if that's your view of salvation, okay? Uh, he came for the purpose, and that was to give his life in place of ours, okay? So that's why atonement is so important, and I wanted to walk back through this. Uh, most of these slides you've already seen, but here's the definition, because I really want you to understand the definition of atonement. It's defined as God's work on sinners' behalf to reconcile them back to God. So God does all the work in restoring the relationship. We don't do that work. It's the divine activity that confronts and resolves the problem of human sin so that people may enjoy full fellowship with God both now and in the age to come, heaven. While in one sense, the meaning of atonement is very broad because all of God's work throughout time and eternity can be considered, but, you know, when we talk about atonement, we're usually speaking about that particular moment when Jesus died on the cross, okay? So in other words, God's been, there's been types and pictures and uh, illustrations of atonement since Genesis because he was trying to paint a picture for you so that when you saw the finished picture, you'd go, you've been doing that all along. And God would go, exactly. I've been working this the whole time since Genesis 3. And so we think of Calvary as the finished painting. God puts the brush down and goes, I finished my work. You've been saved, okay, in Christ. Uh, we looked at the idea that there was only one Old Testament work, fair, I believe is the way you pronounce it, and it meant to cover or wash away. Uh, again, the idea of removing sin or removing guilt specifically. Um, Here's one of the passages that we looked at. I'll read through it real quickly. Now, if the whole congregation of Israel commits an error and the matter escapes the notice, they didn't realize it, 
and they commit any of these things which the Lord has commanded not to be done, and they become guilty. When the sin which they've committed becomes known to them, then the assembly shall offer a bull of the herd for a sin offering, bring it before the tent of meeting, then the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull, giving us a picture of sins passing from the congregation onto the animal. That was the purpose of that. And the bull shall be slain before the Lord. Then the anointed priest is to bring some of the blood of the bull to the tent of the meeting. And then the priest shall dip his finger in the blood, sprinkle it seven times. Other things he did as a priest. He shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar before the Lord in the tent of the meeting. Thus he shall do it. So the priest shall make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. So see, you can look at forgiveness and ignore the sacrifice. And a lot of people's salvation do that. They understand the forgiveness, but they want to ignore the bloody sacrifice. But someone died for the sake of atonement. Was guilt removed? Yeah. Was sin forgiven? Yes. But don't forget someone died. Okay? And that's the part that we definitely need to understand. Uh, so it brings us to expiation and propitiation. So now we last week we started rolling into the... New Testament words for atonement. And this is a big deal. I forget which translation uses expiation and will not use propitiation. It's a significant one. I doubt any of y'all have it, but it is a significant one. Maybe the CEB. Maybe. It's a very popular translation that they won't use propitiation because the authors don't like the idea of the wrath of God falling on the sun. So they use the word expiate, and expiate simply means to remove. Expiate, probably similar to the word exfoliate, I guess. Simply remove, okay? So in other words, I'm removing your guilt or I'm removing your sin, okay? That's expiation. Most of the translations you guys have, NASB, will use the word propitiation. And this is what's so offensive about propitiation to so many people professing to be Christians is because propitiation has to do with the appeasement of God. And they don't like a God that has to be appeased. In other words, when God was propitiated, He stayed His wrath. He was placated is another word that they don't like. Or God was placated or God was appeased. And the reason they don't like it is because it looks like so many of the idols and the pagan worship practices and their false gods because, you know, they offered sacrifices to their gods all the time. They would offer up children, right? And they offered up children to appease that God's anger. And so people's like, you're making God look like one of those pagan gods. Don't talk about propitiation. Don't talk about appeasement but they don't understand God. Because if you understand God in all of His holiness, okay, we can't mess with God who is holy, holy, holy. His law is holy, and if the law is broken, the only holy way to do that is punishment. That is never taken away, right? He's not some weird pagan God that we're trying to make happy by offering up sacrifices. But nonetheless... Uh, I would draw here an equation uh, for Rob, but I don't know how many of you see things in a math perspective. I mean, if you sin, 
The wages of sin is always death. You can't change that. That is the constant. Sin equals death, period, according to the economy of God or the wisdom of God. Okay? So when we talk about propitiation, that's still the case, but like I said Sunday, X equals death or sin equals death, not yours but Christ's. And so it's not like we're trying to, oh, let's just make God happy. No, you're, God's holy law has to be fulfilled. He's not going to forget it. He's not going to sweep it under the rug. And that's why we hold dearly to propitiation because God is holy. He's not going to change his mind. Does that make sense to everybody? Everybody good? Questions? I know those are two words you're like, I probably never used those words in a sentence before, but from a Bible's perspective, those are really important words. And they both take place. Are you forgiven? Is your guilt removed? Yes. But the reason it's forgiven and guilt removed is because Christ died in your place. And it appeased the wrath of God. It is, it is okay to say that, and we know it was satisfied. Why do we know it was satisfied in Christ, by the way? Exactly. He was raised from the dead. You know what a glorious day that was. I mean, we talk about it from the perspective of because Jesus was raised, we'll be raised, and so we celebrate the fact that you and I don't die, that we'll be raised from the dead one day, but when Christ was raised from the dead, God's wrath was satisfied, and we're like, paid in full, we're free. And that's why that empty tomb is so glorious. Because our sins were paid for at that point. And God was, God was appeased. And he raised him up from the dead. You know, which day is greater? The day he was raised from the dead or the day he returns? Great days. Great days, you know. Because when he returns, we'll fully realize every bit of this. All right, so we talked about the categories, and we started the categories. There's three categories that help us understand atonement, the idea of buying something. And I use the example, I think, of the women going to a shoe store. You know, they look and look and look and look and look, and they pick out what they want, and they buy it. That's the first category of this atonement. And it's in, in respect to God. He picked out and purchased his people, Okay. The second one gets in the idea of appeasement, and Lord willing, we'll start that next week. We're going to got another purchasing word to go through today. Next week's appeasement, those are good words. And then there is a couple of words that have this idea of a change of relationship. So three categories, all pointing to the same atonement. Here's our purchasing words, agarazzo and latruo. We did agarazzo last week. Let me give you some examples. Most of them actually use the word buy or purchase. One time it uses the word redeem, which really kind of frustrates me. I wish they wouldn't do that, but they do. Uh, so when evening came, the disciples came and said to Jesus, this place is desolate and the hour is already late, so send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and agarazzo food for themselves, buy something for themselves. Okay. So that is a non-theological way that this word is used. It helps us understand context. And I think we talked about McDonald's last week. Sitting in line, well, number one. All right, you roll up to the window, they give you number one, you pay for it. That's this word. I picked it out and I paid for it, it's mine. Okay? So again, 
we use that very same word God does to describe what He did for us. You have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You were bought with a price, do not become slaves of men. Same word. All right? So we go from non-theological to theological. Make sense? All right. There it is. Um, Worthy you to take the book and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, and people, and nation. So what did God pay for you with? Yeah. What did God pay for you with? What was your price? The blood of Christ. Yeah. That's a very high price. Isn't that amazing? God purchased the most insignificant thing, rebels. I mean, according to Ephesians 2, right? We, we despised God, we rejected God, we turned away from God, and yet He paid the highest price that has ever been paid. I study this. I always think about, none of you guys are old enough. I'd probably have to go grab Sandra back there to get somebody old enough to remember this. We used to run across the street from the swimming pool when the swimming pool's open and go in the little store there. Whose, whose store was that? Joyce Yeah, Joyce Shop Easy. And I'd have a little bit of money in my pocket and I could buy those little uh, green apple bubble gums and they were one penny. It was like the most insignificant thing in the store, but I'd run across the street every time and buy me a couple of those green apples and stick them in my pocket. They were a penny, you know? It's like God rolled up into that store and it's like, God, it only cost a penny. Yeah, but I'm going to pay Joyce $10 million. Still want that same piece of bubble gum. I just want one, but I'm going to give her $10 million for it. I mean, that's, that's always the picture when I study this about what God did for us. I'm like, God, you got in me uh, a chewed piece of bubble gum that ain't even worth a penny and you paid the highest price for me that could ever be paid. And that's what God did for each of us, you know? So your pastor told you tonight you're about like a used piece of chewing gum. How about that for encouragement? My analogies. Okay, purchase, purchase, purchase. These are the ones who follow the Lamb. They have been purchased from among men as first fruits. And we talked about this word right here. We'll get into that tonight. A paw, which means away from. All right, I got to move on. We're not going to cover anything new. Purchase, purchase, purchase. All right. Latruo. New word. Slave market language. Okay? So a little different context. Anytime you were buying a slave, you paid the ransom price. And that slave became your own personal slave to do with it whatever you wanted to do. Okay? So he steals a word from slave market language, and he gives it theological significance as Paul begins to describe what happened to us in the atonement, okay? Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us to redeem, here's your slave term, ransom us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good works. 
All right, so what was the ransom price when you're looking at this passage? Answer it from the passage, not theology. Thank you. This was the price. And I want you to notice, here's this appall word again. So what will we purchase from? Every lawless deed. Now let me stop right there and talk about your holy living. You really ought to live holy. He purchased you out of unholiness. You really ought to spend your life walking in holiness. Okay? When he found you, you were in sin. Now that he's found you, why in the world would you continue to live in sin? That makes absolutely no sense. A holy God has bought you. Be holy. Okay? Now, why did he do this? Kind of cheated there for you. highlighted it. Why did he give himself to buy us out from every lawless deed? So he could have us to himself. Yeah. We belong to him. We're God's possession. When I think about this, I always think about... Uh, Actually, it's Don's analogy for Steve. He said when Steve was little, he had a box that he kept under his bed, and it had uh, all these little precious things, rocks, you know how it was when you were little, uh, baseball card, all these little precious things that he had as a little boy, and he'd keep them in one box, and he'd keep that box under the bed, and those were his precious things, right? And so nobody in the house could mess with him, not even mom and dad. They belong to him. It's a good illustration of how we are in relationship to God. We are his precious things that he has paid a great price for, okay? And he keeps them dear to his heart, all right? We don't, we don't keep ourselves in him. We are kept in him and by him. We belong to him. And you can't do anything about that. All of hell can't do anything about that. You are God's precious thing. There's your passage, okay? I know that sounds a little Joel Osteen-ish, but you are literally God's precious thing. You used to be an old piece of chewing gum. Now your pastor's telling you you're God's precious thing. So push you down, lift you up. All right, ransom. Coot's going to give me a hard time for that one later. <laughs> All right, First Peter chapter 1, 18 and 19. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from oppo, your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but implied you were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Again, what was your ransom price? Precious blood of Christ. What was it not? Which is things that we would think would be greatly significant. Right? That's God's like, no. That that's worthless compared to what I paid. You think gold's significant? No, it's worthless. Especially something that possibly we could pay. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. That's good. Now, what will we purchase from again? Y'all see it on there. Somebody just say it. Feudal ways. Feudal ways. All right, Rob can't. Robert Tyler can't answer any more questions. Y'all know what it says. Your feudal ways. Those are your ways before you came to Jesus. You don't live like that anymore. And by the way, don't ever say that you are who you are and you'll never change. Don't ever say that. No, you're in the process of being changed if you're in Christ. Your feudal ways are falling away. Okay? You're becoming renewed day by day, and you're not living like that anymore. You don't have to. You got the Spirit of God living within you, and God paid a great price for you. All right? So again, this idea of ransom. Um, Mark 10.45 is extremely significant. Latruo is in the noun form, not the verb form. For even <clears throat> the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom payment for many. Okay? So what's significant about this is you've got this word here, and this is why we propitiate, we don't expiate. Okay, here we go. A-N-T-I. Anti. Okay? So we've got this word, when you get down here, and it's English, it's boring, for many. Anti. Help me out, Cody. Polo, Polone, well, yeah, now, so anti-Polone. So ransom price in the place of is the word anti-many. Christ died in your place. He died in the place of you, okay? And when he did that, he paid a ransom price for you. He died in the place of you. That's why expiation just doesn't cover it. It's, you're, it's more than forgiveness. It's more than you're not guilty because He died in your place. I hope you wrestle with that from time to time. I really hope that there are times in your life where you sit there and realize that someone died for you and you were dying. I mean, you were well on your way to death. Fourth stage, right? That's why we can't just expiate. We've got to propitiate. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom payment in the place of many. Remember this verse, Cody, because I'm going to throw you a curveball in just a minute. So who did he give his, his, uh, his life for? Mm-hmm. Okay. First Timothy 2, 5-6, through 6, another noun, so it'll be a ransom payment. There is one God, there's one mediator also between God and man, or God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom payment for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So, here you go. Let me show you this word. This word... 
right here, ransom, is this word right here, latruo. And this is it. Right, you do better there. Okay. But look what's on front of it. This is why Greek is cool and English is not. Because he wanted to add a little something to the word. And so he says, gave himself in place of as a ransom. Okay? So he gave himself in the place of as a ransom. Who's it in the place of? Those who believe. <laughs> all who believe. <laughs> or for the many who believe. All right. I'm debating whether or not we need to walk down this road or not. <laughs> so the age, age old debate for whom did Christ die? Whew, you can kick a beehive and find preachers just about start throwing punches over this issue. I mean, big time. For whom did Christ die? Well, from the application of the blood standpoint, we know that his death was only applied to those who believe, period. We're not universalists. And a universalist says everybody goes to heaven. Christ has died for all. Faith is not required. Knowing Jesus' name is not required. Jesus died for all. Therefore, all go to heaven. We're not even in the same boat at this. I can't even have a conversation with you at that point. That's not true. But you'd be surprised how many universalists are out there. I mean, they're everywhere, okay? I would say Osteen would be one of the examples of a universalist. Everybody's going. Don't have to repent. None of that. We're not that. So for whom did Christ die? you got to wrestle with that. Uh, this is the word panta, which literally means all. So here's to add to your pondering as you ponder that. It's taught that Jesus died for all, and now the ball's in your court. He's done all that he's going to do, and now the rest is up to you. And so if you come to him then that blood is applied to you. But the problem is, can you give me one passage that we've been over in all these weeks that doesn't point to salvation being a work of God from beginning to end? It is all His work, not yours. We're not meeting Him in the middle. He didn't do His half, you did your half. That's not in the Bible. It sounds really good, but you're not going to find it in the Scriptures. So I'll just let you chew on that. I'm not going to answer that for you. Cody's grinning. Um, it's a difficult thing to ponder. But nonetheless, he gave himself as a ransom payment in the place of us. I always thought of it as it was, his ransom, his death was sufficient for all, but it's only effective for the call. That's a great theological answer. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who repents and puts their faith in Christ is saved. And the blood is applied. Okay. So what would you use to back that statement? 
All and, I, and I say that. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> and we converted that ASB. <laughs> no, but, all right. Let's just say that you were witnessing to somebody. And they, and you, so you're trying probably to avoid this scripture right here. Right? No. <laughs> all of me, but, so what would you say if somebody said, well, I'm just too far gone. I'm too much of a sin. So it's not really applied to all of I would go to the glory of Christ uh, because you're 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 diminishing Christ with that 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 attitude sounds good and godly, but it's it's diminishing the glory of Christ because His great price is sufficient to pay for any man's sin. It doesn't matter how corrupt he or vile he is, because he's wet. Again, we're back in this grocery store, right? He, wrote, he shows up with a check for $10 million. You tell me I can't buy a one-cent piece of bubble gum with this? You know, that sort of thing. So, but yeah, I mean, I've had somebody just say that to me before, and I'm just like, no, you don't understand the holiness of God. You're looking at you and not Him, right? He can forgive anything. He is a gracious and merciful and willing to forgive. So repent and run to Him. Um. Well, uh, I'll leave this passage alone. I'm trying to answer something. I ain't got no business in it. All right, let's keep going. Uh, again, the Truo slave market. Sorry, Rob. Slave market. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished the Truo. Uh, here's your word just in the noun form, for his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. Now, this is root word poieo, which means work. Okay, so anytime you went to work today, this is the word you'd apply to that, poieo, I did work, okay, myself. I worked, okay? So it's translated here, accomplished. I guess that's pretty good, but you do understand who's doing the work. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and worked out our ransom price for his people. There, you can argue with that from what we just argued. And he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. He visited us and he worked it out. He did it all himself. He accomplished it. That is a good word choice, isn't it? He accomplished it. And again, we're talking about atonement. And also, because he is, this is his work to save us. And we're also talking about propitiation because the work involved is death. Lived a perfect life. And he gave himself in your place. You gave him your sin. He dies for that and gives you his righteousness. The great exchange. All his work. Okay. So really, I mean, you understand this. You know, we tell people, you know, um, that want to come to faith in Christ. And, you know, you want to share with them and we just... You know, they don't know what to do. You know, re, you know, say this prayer. and We want to lead them in something. But really, if they understand something, 
let's just worship God. Let's just praise Him. Let's just me and you just sing Amazing Grace right now. I mean, because that's all we're doing. We're recognizing that He's done this for me. The only thing I've got left to do is worship Him because He's worked it out. Okay? He did all the work for me. Let's see. Is that the last one? I got a couple more. Um, when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands. Of course, this is a reflection of the Old Testament tabernacle and the Old Testament sacrifices, but this tabernacle that Christ entered was not made with hands. Miss Barbara, you know that song? Not made with hands. That is to say, not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood, he entered the holy place once and but he paid one price and it atoned for every sin since Genesis 3. Once for all, he died. And if there's anyone in heaven, they will only be there because the death of Christ paid it in full. That's it. There's no other sacrifices. And so... If you're blessed with grandchildren one day, their sins, they'll be paid for by Christ or they won't be paid. Romans 3, being justified as a gift by His grace. This is where we are Sunday morning. Being justified or made right with God as a gift by His grace through the ransom price which is found in Christ Jesus. Again, I take you back. What did you do in 324? What did you add to that? Nothing. Not a thing. It was all His doing. Uh, Romans 8, Not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption, the redemption of our body. That one's difficult. I'm not going to get into that one. Um, even more difficult here. I'll finish with this one. Colossians 1.14 In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Okay, so here does, does the price of Christ point to expiation or propitiation. propitiation. Eh. Both. Both. Because we have that, the removal. That's where he's headed with it. The removal of sin. All right. I skipped a bunch. They're just really hard, y'all, and I don't know that we have time. In Him we have redemption, ransom price paid, through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins or trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Again, His work. Questions?